0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. Great day to be great and great day to preview week eight. We got three more weeks of regular season action before four lucky teams will head on up to Canton, battle this thing out in the playoffs. So just five more weeks of this magnificent sport. Then we're going to be in July. No more football is going on until preseason in August. So thank you all for continuing to join me here. And let's talk some freaking ball. Want to start off with going over the playoff scenarios. Basically, the way the USFL works, they have a North Division and a South Division. Why do they need divisions when every team plays in Birmingham? I don't know, but that's besides the point. Top two teams from each make it. So in the North, the New Jersey Generals have already clinched the playoff spot at 6-1. and one, Just like in the South, the Birmingham Stallions have already clinched the spot at 7-0. Oh. So far, the only team actually eliminated is the Houston Gamblers. Although it does look like the Philadelphia Stars have a pretty damn good chance of making it up in the North. The North Division is the Generals, the Stars who are 4-3, and three, and then we have the 1-6 and six, Panthers and Maulers. So the Stars... They just need one more win in any of the last three weeks, and they are in. Or they need the Panthers and Maulers to lose just one more game each. So looking pretty damn good for the Stars at this point. Meanwhile, in the South, a little bit more competitive. This week, the New Orleans Breakers, who are currently 5-2 and two and sitting strong in the two-spot, they have to face a 7-0 Birmingham Stallions. So if they drop that game, which they are favored to lose by three. <laughs> they're expected to lose by three points in that one. They are not favored. If they lose that, they're going to drop to 5-3. and three. And then when we look at the Bandits, who are actually going to be out there playing one of these 1-6 uh, and six squads. Who do the Bandits have? But yeah, Bandits have the Houston Gamblers this week. Not the worst 1-6 squad. That goes to the Maulers. But the Bandits are favored in this one. If the Bandits can beat, you know, the gamblers, as expected, they're going to be four and four. The breakers, if they lose to the diamonds, as expected, they're going to be five and three. And guess who plays each other in week nine? The breakers and the bandits. So that week nine matchup could end up deciding exactly who is going to be the team moving upwards. Obviously, even if the bandits win these next two and the breakers lose the next two, they would each be five and five. Or excuse me. 5-4, uh, and four, entering Week 10. We'll see what happens, though. So just to quickly sum that up, the New Jersey Generals and the Birmingham stallions they have clinched. The Philadelphia Stars are pretty dang close at this point. They are a win and they are in. A loss would keep Michigan and Pittsburgh just ever so slightly alive, but just one more loss from either of those teams will eliminate them from playoff contention. And then the New Orleans Breakers, a win, and they are also in, but at that same time, excuse me, they would need a win and a Bandits loss to get in. So, That's setting up the potential week nine, week nine matchup between them. I'm really hoping that that ends up coming to fruition because, you know, I'll take some competitive football. And again, right now, the Houston gamblers are the only USFL team to be eliminated from playoff contention. So spoiler alert, lock of the week is going to be the gamblers losing in this one because, you know, you could already kind of argue what is the motivation level for a lot of these guys not having the fans in the crowd, you know, being eight weeks in this year. And now you're going to take away the carrot at the end of the stick that is, you know, making it to. The playoffs. I am, and then also Clayton Thorson. Their starting quarterbacks hurt. A lot going wrong for the Houston Gamblers right now. But with that out of the way, let's go through the power rankings, some DraftKings stuff, and then our best bets before we get out of here. So the Week Eight USFL Power Rankings. Number one, as always, the Birmingham Stallions, still at seven and zero. Wasn't the best performance against the Maulers last week. I mean, they needed a fake punt touchdown to actually crack the twenty point mark. But Jamar Smith, he's out there for every snap. The Alex McGee experiment at quarterback is over. Now they're trying to do it. Wide receiver, and we still have by far the best pass rush in the usfo Forty-two point six percent pressure rate. The gamblers at thirty-six point six percent. Only other team pressuring opposing quarterbacks on even over a third of their dropbacks. Number two power night team, the New Jersey Generals at six and one. Top two highest grade offensive players by PFF this season. Cavante Turpin, their do it all. Debo Samuel-esque wide receiver that gets a lot of handoffs as well. And also running back Darius Victor, the muscle hamster, just bowling ball near the goal line. Top two highest grade PFF offensive players. So great stuff by them. And I think that's really helped allow them to kind of overcome the absence of DeAndre Johnson over the past week. But looking like he could be back. Maybe the ankle injury is going to take away some of his explosiveness as a rusher. But DeAndre Johnson has been moving to the active roster. And I'll tell you what, the generals are able to get a lead. They are awfully tough to play with and they've had that lead longer than just about anyone this year nobody has more total snaps than the generals at 124 when leading by at least seven points this season look out if they can score in a hurry new orleans breakers my number three team i still think this is a tear Stallions, Generals, Breakers, top tier, and then it's everyone else. There's some other tiers down there, but this is the top five and two. Look, Kyle Sloder not getting every snap now. They're bringing in Zach White. Didn't stop Slater from actually going out there and winning USFL player of the week, getting that walk-off overtime touchdown and being the only quarterback to throw multiple scores through the air. So, again, bringing in Zach Smith, even if it is just sporadic, I don't think helps the overall upside of this offense. With that said, the Breakers, top four offense and defense in Team PF grade. That's something neither the stallions nor the Generals can attest to having achieved at this point. Number four squad, looking lightly for the playoffs, just not necessarily a juggernaut. The Philadelphia Stars at four and three. Brian Scott, their week one starter, has been moved to the inactive injured reserve roster now, so we're really not expecting him to return this year. Case Cook is. He's not been bad. Now, he hasn't been making a ton of those high-level, you know, elite tight window throws. We call them big-time throws at PFF. He's 13th among 14 qualified quarterbacks in big-time throw rate this season, but he's top five in PFF passing grade and adjusted completion rate. So he's keeping the offense on track. Matt Colburn, their running back, has been doing a lot of good things over the last few weeks. And because of that, Philly has been able to win more games than they've lost. With that said, easily the USFL's worst defense and PFF grade across the board. Overall, run the coverage pass rush you name it they are the worst in it I think that will eventually be their kryptonite and it's the reason why I can't fully back them as a top three squad I mean look the stars are four and three but they actually have a negative point differential on the season it's only negative one but come on like I can't put them up into that top tier when every other team is looking at plus 30 or higher Tampa Bay Bandits are 3-4. and four. End of Week 7 with another shot at the end zone to tie the game. Similar thing happened to them at the end of Week 6. So, Tiamu was largely terrible last week, but he still kept them close enough to have that final chance to tie the game. So, it, with that in mind, we've still seen enough from him to have the reason to believe that the Bandits can play with anyone when they get that best version of the offense. So, Not great overall. I'm PFF's second lowest grade overall offense, second lowest grade overall defense. But when we start to look at these other teams that are all one and six, it's hard not to put the Bandits... uh, It's hard to put the Bandits any lower than fifth at this point. After the Bandits, I think it's another tier drop-off. So again, in that top tier, we have the Stallions, Generals, and Breakers. After that, the Stars and Bandits. And then this bottom tier is the Panthers and Gamblers. And then another bottom tier, the freaking basement people. That's where the Pittsburgh Maulers uh, belong. Because, yes... All three of these teams are one and six, and like Bo Parcel said back in the day, you are what your record says you are. But man, the fighting Jeff Fishers, they're one and six with a minus 13 point differential. The Tampa Bay Bandits are three and four with a minus 29 point differential. So nearly over. It's actually over twice as worse as the Panthers have been, yet they have two more wins. I mean, they've just been so unlucky at the end of some of these games sucks for Jeff Fisher and company, and they're not going to get up to 500. Just a total shame all the way around. Now, Josh Love, as we talked about in our review episode of Week 7, truly did impress last week. The counting numbers don't tell you that, but could have easily had two, three touchdowns with a little bit better performance from some of his pass catchers. So, I'm not discounting the Panthers' chances of making a little bit of noise over these next three weeks. I don't think they're going to be able to have enough go their way with the Stars losing every single game for them to make the playoffs or anything like that. Also, wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they win a game they're not supposed to win and hit maybe some foreshadowing going on there. Team number 7, the Houston Gamblers, similar to the Panthers, better than their record indicates, just a point differential of minus 21 on the season, despite that 1-6 and record. 11-point loss last week. <laughs> Kenji Bahar took a safety on the final play of the game. That was the first time they lost by more than one score all season long. The problem is with that Clayton Thorson elbow injury, might have already seen the best of the Gamblers. Andy thrown the fact they've been eliminated, team morale might just be at an all-time low. And finally, your Pittsburgh Maulers at 1-6. and Let's go over the Kirby Wilson tenure. He starts off the year before week one, cuts a starting running back because he requested pizza instead of a chicken salad. After that, he has rotated through not one, not two, not three, but four different quarterbacks, which in and of itself isn't the worst thing in the world. But you know what? If you're gonna do that and get rid of Josh Love, who has now gone on to play for the Panthers and look like truly one of the USFL's top five quarterbacks. Now, I know there's eight teams, that's not the biggest uh you know pat in the back I could ever give a guy. But, you know, when you're the Pittsburgh Maulers and you can't figure anything out, maybe you shouldn't have cut Josh Love in the first place. But what they've done twice that's really been infuriating is benching Kyle Luleta for Vad Lee and then Vad Lee for Roland Rivers when neither Vad Lee or Rivers at the time of being put into the game in the fourth quarter had even been in a position to be on the team more in the week. I want to say maybe... Vad Lee was on the team for 10 days, but I'm pretty sure both these guys were on the team for under a week before getting thrown to the fire. And then it's just like, who the hell knows what's going to happen after that? You throw in just the dismal clock management at the end of that first half last week. Oh, yeah. Let's bench Bailey freaking Gathers the number one or number two worst case behind Trey Walker, wide receiver on your team, for seemingly no good reason at all. So, you know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know more about football than Kirby Wilson. He was spent 20 years in the NFL as a running back coach. Obviously, you know, he got this head coaching job for a reason, but my God, everyone, it's really hard to uh, give him the benefit of the doubt when he's benching his quarterback for body language issues when this is the sort of track record he's put together in his first seven weeks as head coach. So remember when we brought up how the Panthers and the Gamblers weren't as bad as their record? Panthers having the minus 13 point differential, Gamblers minus uh, 21, the Maulers are minus 16 72 on the season. Their only win came on the last play of the freaking game when Vadley was able to find Bailey Gaither. So I, I just think it's been a train wreck from start to finish. And yeah, your Pittsburgh Maulers are the single worst team in the USFL, and it's not particularly close. As we get into our DraftKings preview, I want to always remind you guys to check out my USFL Twitter list. Nothing too special. All it is is all the eight USFL teams, as well as my guy from ETR, Cody maine who also always spouts some USFL goodness. Basically, just keep track of those injuries and the roster moves because if you don't do that, you're going to see situations where a player that is seemingly set up for success is actually inactive, just tanking your entire lineup and also these injuries come in hot and heavy I'm recording this on a Thursday afternoon so unfortunately, only have the Friday matchup injury information right now, so truly, before you set those lineups on Friday, we have a Friday game this week, make sure you check those injury stuff, they're going to be out about 2am just look at some point, make sure that you're not starting anyone that's considered doubtful are already out and the big trick on this that i've been figuring out is they they basically announce two things they'll tell you what guys are questionable probable doubtful out they'll also tell you the moves from the inactive roster to the active roster so the USFL hasn't eliminated the probable tag like the NFL has, but we can still kind of figure out like what questionable guys are leaning more towards probable and which guys are leaning more towards doubtful based on who is on the inactive roster and who is not. So not a hundred percent. I think it was last week Stevie Scott, the Panthers running back, what got moved from the inactive roster to the active roster at the last second. Still, though, just a good rule of thumb and gives you a little bit more knowledge when we're not getting, you know, limited practices, DMPs, full practice information from these teams. So with all that. That said, some quarterback situations to keep an eye on. Mentioned Gamblers quarterback Clayton Thorson with the elbow injury. He is on the inactive list, so we are expecting Kenji Bauer to take each and every snap for the Gamblers this week. Stars quarterback Brian Scott seemingly done for the season on the inactive injured reserve roster. Case Cook should remain the Philadelphia QB1 and play each and every snap. Panthers quarterback Paxton Lynch hasn't played since week three due to that lower leg injury. Last week, he was listed as questionable. He was moved to the active roster, though, and then Josh Love took every single snap. So we'll see what happens. I'm not overly confident that Love's going to be out there for each and every snap again. I thought he passed the eye test, but ultimately, Jeff Fisher's opinion matters, and he has been willing to kind of change these quarterbacks up pretty quick. I mean, Shea Patterson was starting to play his best ball of the season before he got taken out of the picture. Ultimately, I think if Paxton Lynch is healthy enough to play, he'll probably be starting, but Josh Lowe could be in there for a bit as well. And finally, New Jersey Generals quarterback, DeAndre Johnson, with that ankle injury. So listed as probable this week. and He's been transferred to the active roster, but at the same time, he is a run-first quarterback, or at least that's how they've been using him for most of this year. With that ankle injury happening just two weeks ago, I really have my doubts that the Generals, who have already clinched a playoff spot, are going to throw Johnson out there for more than just a little bit, if at all. So I am still tentatively expecting Luis Perez to take the heavy majority of snaps in week eight. So to recap... Quarterbacks expected to play a full allotment of snaps this week. Jordan Tiamu, Kenji Baher, Jamar Smith, and Case Koukis. Quarterbacks expected to play a majority of the snaps, Kyle Sloter and Luis Perez. And it's a true toss-up between Vadley and Roland Rivers, as well as Josh Love and Paxton Lynch. So, favorite plays, Jordan Tiamu, 11.2K on DraftKings. Again, he was terrible last week. He still finished as the QB2 behind only Kyle Sloter. So, honestly, at this point, without a healthy DeAndre Johnson... It's just tough to find a quarterback There really isn't a quarterback that has Tiamu's passing upside combined with that sweet, sweet rushing floor. I continue to prefer stacking Tiamu with number one receiver John Franklin over anyone else. Also going to roll the dice on Kenji Bahar a little bit. Just 6.1K on DraftKings. If you find yourself wanting to get up to some of those more uh, expensive wide receivers, Bahar can be the spot where you save a little bit of money. Would definitely be down to stack him with Isaiah Zuber. We didn't see a ton of rushing upside from Bahar. And even when you go back and look at his college stats at Uh, Monmouth University didn't have a ton I think only like four touchdowns his last season there 175 total yards so not expecting a lot but I do think it could be a plus over Clayton Thorson and the gamblers embracing this you know four or five wide receiver offense I do think that Zuber perhaps uh, Anthony Ratliff Williams could have themselves a pretty solid game I'll mostly be fading the muddled death charts. That doesn't include Kyle Sloater or uh, Luis Perez. If you guys want to roll the dice with them, that's fine. Again, they should be taking the heavy majority of the snaps. And, you know, just with Zach um, Zach White coming in for basically just a couple snaps, you, they, he, they brought him in for the breakers in the third series of the last two games. Last week, he played a little bit into the fourth, but has not been out there in the second half. So Kyle Sloater's still in play. So is Luis Perez. But I'm going to be largely fading the Maulers, Panthers, and Generals quarterback. And again, Luis Perez is a bit of a toss-up. I just, with DeAndre Johnson being probable, we should probably get him out of the picture. So, Maulers, Panthers, Generals, quarterbacks, I will generally be fading. Kyle Slaughter is still in play. At the running back position, main injury to keep an eye on is Darius Victor with that ankle injury. He's listed as probable, though. Should be good to go. This has been the case over the last few weeks. These backfields are getting healthy, which, you know, good. Prefer football players not to be injured. Uh, I'm not some kind of sadistic sicko that would uh, like that. But at the same time, we do have more muddled backfields than usual. So right now, the workhorse running backs we can trust are really Bo Scarborough and to a slightly lesser extent, Matt Colbert. Bo Scarborough last week, week high 85% snap rate, also week high 73% rush attempts, even had a 55% route rate for his trouble. So CJ Maribel was back in action. Maybe his limited usage was just because he came back from a knee injury. It could be possible. But at the same time, Scarborough has been playing well. He's got the Birmingham hometown advantage. I think Scarborough is our best bet for 20 plus touches during any given week at this point. And anyway, with Matt Colburn, he has been awesome in the past two weeks. And I think they recognize that and they're willing to continue feeding him. With that said, Darnell Holland finally looked healthy again last week. He was the week one starter. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Colburn, who played 76% of the offensive snaps last week, dip down just just a little bit, but honestly, if it didn't happen last week, Holland's been active for several weeks now, so I still got to give Colborn the workhorse treatment league committee backs just don't quite have that same workhorse role. Mark Thompson over there with the Houston Gamblers, 60, 60% snaps last week. I mean, he was in the workhorse category until last week. The problem was that Dalen Dawkins and Devall Whaley were both active and both playing. So if we see one of Whaley or Dawkins move to the inactive roster, you can go ahead and bump Thompson up into the Scarborough Colburn t- uh, territory. But as long as we have three running backs going on, it's just tough to be super overly optimistic about them. And the same thing goes for Reggie Corbin. I mean, I left you guys in the preview last week saying, like, you need Reggie Corbin in each and every lineup. The dude has, like, 108 yards on 13 carries. Unfortunately, he gets vultured not once but twice at the goal line by Cam Scarlett and then Stevie Scott. So the thesis of the play was that Stevie Scott was on the inactive list by the time I recorded the podcast, and with Corbin, the USFL's best running back, averaging 6.3 yards per carry this season, and the eye test is somehow even more impressive. The thought was, like, Corbin could finally be looking at Twenty plus touches alas it didn't turn out that way so hopefully please like jeff fisher you've achieved a lot in your life it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see who the best running back on this michigan panthers team is their playoff hopes are not quite eliminated yet let's give corbin the ball as many times as possible and see what happens he is the rare running back that i'm willing to still gamble on in fantasy land despite the absence of a truly elite workload As for the muddle committees, Madre London and Garrett Groshek continue to go back and forth with the Maulers. Madre London did take 60% of the rush attempts last week. I mean, he was leaned on more than ever. But to suggest that Garrett Groshek is just going to be completely out of the picture, you know, it's Kirby Wilson. Who the hell knows? But I think the general thing is with this backfield being as muddled as it is, the offensive upside being non-existent. Just stay away from Pittsburgh running backs if you can help it. Juwan Washington and B.J. Emmons with the Bandits. Washington's been the league guy the last few weeks, but Emmons was the early season starter. It's still a situation where we can kind of see it swing 60-40 in either direction. And with the touches being similar, it's just not a situation I'm overly optimistic about, particularly because I'm expecting Jordan Tiamo in that passing game to have the bigger numbers this week with the breakers Jordan Ellis and Anthony Jones continuing to split things basically down the middle with Larry Rose uh, continuing to be sidelined not sure if it's an injury so keep an eye on if Larry Rose gets activated if so these guys will be completely out of the picture as it stands though it's still tough to get behind them too much I mean they were leaning really towards Anthony Jones two weeks ago he had 100 yards but then last week went back to Jordan Ellis in terms of snaps so this is another 50-50 situation that's tough to get too big of a handle on and finally Trey Williams and Darius Victor Victor gets the goal line stuff, Williams gets the pass down stuff, if DeAndre Johnson is back in the offense, it's going to be a third a- third added p- person to the rushing pie and hey, we got Kevante Turpin there too getting a handful of carries as well, so hey, we've seen production from both these guys I'm not saying you need to fade Darius Victor by any stretch, I will be taking my chances though, mostly on guys projected for 5-10 to 10 more touches, so Favorite plays, Bo Scarborough, just too much of a touch volume difference than these other guys to fade. It's unfortunate he didn't find the end zone last week, but he has looked good out there, and I just think Birmingham is committed to riding him. So let's go ahead and scoop him up at just 7K on DraftKings and also Reggie Corbin for all those reasons I previously mentioned. I'll mostly be fading these muddle committees. Maulers, Bandits, Breakers, Generals, two back committees that I don't think have enough upside to really get behind with the you know sort of exception of the Generals. Again, Luis Perez, Trey Williams, uh, Darius Victor. I'm not saying you need to be out on these guys personally though. this week with DeAndre Johnson probably back in the picture Russian quarterbacks, they are great for themselves. Like We all know how great dual-threat quarterbacks can be in fantasy football land, but all of a sudden when you have guys scrambling instead of throwing and then you're losing snaps for Perez and then you're taking rush attempts and read options instead of giving it to Trey Williams and Darius Victor, these are the sorts of things that can start to get us away from the skill position players attached to those quarterbacks. At wide receiver and tight end, just keep an eye on Generals wide receiver Darius Shepard. He's listed as questionable with that hamstring injury. Not expecting him to play, though, because he is still on the inactive roster. So with that in mind, Jamal Moore, Alonzo Moore, and Cavante Turpin should continue to be in three wide receiver sets. It was good to see Jamal Moore come back from injury last week and go ahead and play, you know, an 85% route rate. Didn't quite get the production we were hoping for, but did have team high marks and targets and air yards. So spoiler it, we will be going back to that well this week also want to note that hand up mistake Trey Walker, who I thought was scratched or injured uh, last week. Apparently he was suspended for fighting uh, for one game. So he has been put back onto the active roster, expecting him to be out there for his full allotment of snaps. But then again, it's Kirby Wilson. So who the hell knows? Handful of wide receiver plays. I love this week. Breakers wide receiver Jonathan Adams at 7K continues to be my pick for the USFL's single best wide receiver. Scored another touchdowns last week. Maulers wide receiver Trey Walker again he has been put back on the active roster. Just 4,700 on DraftKings, one of the biggest target hogs in the entire league. And I think just having that you know potential ownership decrease because he was out last week could go a long way. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I even saw on the DraftKings website that Walker might still be listed as out, which you know it's very helpful for them to uh go ahead and do that for us ahead of last week but if they're not going to update it then that actually could give us a great situation so if we can play someone that's listed as out that's actually not out you guys can see how the ownership will be down on that let me double check yeah trey walker is listed as out and that dude is on the active roster so it's gonna be scary especially after we saw Kirby Wilson cut Bailey Gaither's snaps down last week. I would not, you know, if he's going to bench his starting quarterback for body language issues, I could see how a suspension would call, cause him not to exactly throw the guy back into the starting lineup afterwards. But we've seen Trey Walker have like 17 target games in this league. Like his ceiling at wide receiver is as high as anyone else. And if we're going to take Bailey Gaither out from the 1A, 1B conversation, like Trey Walker could be the most featured wide receiver in the USFL. He costs $4,700 and he's being listed as out. Out right now so truly Trey Walker hey we're trying to win 10k or whatever the hell the biggest GPP bucket is these days for USFL take a risk and go with Trey Walker Bandits wide receiver John Franklin Jordan Tiamu's number one pass game option caught a touchdown last week also had a team high six targets and 117 air yards I'm pretty sure every other target was incomplete but again terrible game by jo- Jordan Tiamu I'm pretty sure if he plays better it'll coincide with Franklin being more consistent Generals wide receiver, Jamal Moore, just 3K. Like, they pretty much brought him back from injury, and he's continuing to sit at the minimum floor, team high marks and targets, and air yards last week. As long as Darius Shepard is completely out of the picture, you can fire up Jamal Moore with confidence. Even if Shepard's in, earlier this year, when they had Shepard, Alonzo, and Turpin, Alonzo Moore was the odd man out. It'd just be tougher. For 3K, though, probably worth finding out either way. And finally, I do like Breakers tight end Sal Canela at just 4.9K. Don't get a lot of tight ends uh, listed here, but you know what? He's playing over 80% of the routes consistently, and he looks like a wide receiver playing tight end. So remember, Buck Howard's our official comp for Mike Desicki, but Sal is going to go ahead and be our USFL version of Kyle Pitts. Mentioned a couple of these guys already, but as always, here are cheap punts, just wide receivers priced under $4,000 that are still playing on at least 80% of their offense's uh, dropbacks. So Jermon Moore. 85% route rate in week seven, just 3K on DraftKings. Generals wide receiver, Jamon Moore, who is one of my plays. And then Mauler's wide receiver, Isaiah Henney, 96% route rate last week. That was impacted by the Trey Walker suspension, though. So just 3,400. Henney has impressed with some of his opportunities. Maybe he stays in ahead of Bailey Gaither. He's the one on this list, though, that I'm least confident about because I could see Trey Walker just coming in and taking that job. Stallings wide receiver Michael Darius, 93% route rate, 3600 bucks on DraftKings. Stars wide receiver Maurice Alexander, 94% route rate, $3,700 on DraftKings. And Mauler's wide receiver Delvin Hardaway, 88% route rate, $3,700 on DraftKings. Best bets season, 1-3 last week. I think first time we haven't finished 500 or above all season, potentially, maybe going back to week one or week two, we had a slow start. But 16, 12, actually, no, we went 2 and 3 last week because I actually had the over under. Um, I hit the over on the final game in that. So 16, 12, and 1 on the season. Let's see if we can't go 4 0 in this one. Pittsburgh Maulers versus New Jersey Generals on Friday night. Generals favored by 8.5. Game total at 41.5. So, credit to the Maulers. They covered last week. 12.5 point total was the highest single. Uh, It was the highest spread that we've seen all season in the U.S. USFL still wasn't easy. I mean, so with the Generals, I would be a lot more confident in them with a fully healthy DeAndre Johnson. But even then, come on, guys. Generals minus 8.5. If we're going to gamble on the USFL in freaking June, let's not gamble on Kirby Wilson. It didn't work out last week, but still, this Maulers team, just one bad move after another. I know they're not technically eliminated from playoff contention yet, but behind the Houston Gamblers, I would put team morale for the Pittsburgh Maulers, uh, you know, seventh in the league. New Orleans Breakers taking on the Birmingham Stallions. Birmingham are three is a three-point favorite. Game total is at 44.5. Mentioned Birmingham not being overly impressive against the Maulers, but you know what? Two weeks ago, the Breakers weren't exactly all that impressive against the Maulers as well. So I think both of these teams are in the same tier. I am going to take the Stallions minus three, though. Right now, the Stallions are the smart team, giving Jamar Smith each and every snap. The Breakers are starting to mess around, not doing the same with Kyle Sloater. Back in Week Three, Slaughter and Company were held to just 13 points against this defense. I'm going to continue to ride with the Steins at just minus three. I feel like the spread should be minus five, minus five and a half, and then I'd be more willing to back the Breakers. Michigan Panthers taking on the Philadelphia Stars. Stars favored by five and a half points. Game total of 47 and a half. So that Stars 11 point victory last week. Really aided by three consecutive turnovers to end the game. Courtesy of Kenji Bahar. Previous week's point differentials for the Stars. Plus seven minus 13. Plus one. Minus eight. Plus seven. And minus six. So they have not won a game all season other than last week by more than seven points. To see them favored by five and a half against a Stars team that you know has only had a minus 13 point differential all season I'm not convinced that the Stars are going to be able to basically add half of that in one week so I'm taking the Panthers plus five plus and five and a half in the hopes that Josh Love or Paxton Lynch are able to keep things close enough maybe even just knock off the Philadelphia Stars completely they sure need to at this point point. and finally the Houston Gamblers versus Tampa Bay Bandits Bandits favored by five and a half the game total at 44 and a half so Lock of the week here, people. Bandits minus five and a half. They are fighting for their playoffs lives against an already eliminated gambler squad. Now onto their backup quarterback with Clayton Thorson out of the picture. What more can you ask for? So... It's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, another USFL edition. Again, thank you all for supporting the pod and, you know, letting me just get my uh, little football nerd out here in the USFL streets. As always, we continue to pump out team previews, four of them per week podcast with myself and Dwayne McFarlane, as well as my written work, 14 previews a week and two USFL articles that you can find at pff.com. If you are going to be grinding these uh, DraftKings tournaments and want some extra notes, I invite you guys to go to my pff.com usfl week eight preview article you'll find a bunch of goodness there with these picks and also dwayne McFarland's always great utilization report with snaps and route percentages from last week as always thank you all for listening and until next time take care everybody.